Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So we're very much going to put pressure on uh, governors and everybody else to open the schools, to get them open, and uh, it's very important. President Trump insisted schools must open in the fall, but how? As we see new coronavirus cases now raging across the U.S., reopening in-person classes this fall may be even further in jeopardy. I think we would be naive to ever think about American schools going back to the way that they were. In some parts of the country, schools will be reopening for the fall in just about a month. So right now, the question on everyone's mind is, How do we do that safely? I can tell you this, the answer is not consistent and it's not straightforward. Some districts are making attending school voluntary, even allowing students to stay at home and offering online classes. Others are opting for a sort of hybrid, in-person and remote learning. And then there are districts that are considering resuming school in person for K through 12. The American Academy of Pediatrics has recommended all grades should resume in-person learning saying that the mental and physical benefits of sending kids to school outweigh the risks of the virus. But is that really true at a time when we're still seeing cases rise in more than half the country? CNN's senior global affairs analyst, Biana Goladriga, has been digging into the impact of COVID-19 on education. She and CNN correspondent, Evan McMorris-Santoro, are going to take over today's episode. They're going to discuss how the country is preparing to go back to school in the middle of a pandemic and all the chaos and uncertainty that go along with this. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. So, Bianna, tell me about what it's been like for you as a mom working and and trying to raise your kids through this pandemic. So I have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. And starting in March was when everything shut down. And I think being at home and having two 20-minute Zoom classes a day is obviously not conducive to a three- or four-year-old's well-being and emotional and educational development. Um, but it was better than nothing. Do you want them to go back to school? And it sounds like you probably do. I am so desperate for them to go back to school. <laughs> and as you know, Evan, we've been covering all of the scientific data and the, the medical concerns going into this. It is a messy, messy situation. There's not going to be one single answer. And how you put that together and create a patchwork that makes something that looks like a school, uh, you know, a school system next semester. That's an open question, right? It's all piecemeal. It's all on a case by case basis. If you want to talk about my family and I and, I, and you know, we're focusing on, on the rest of the countries, but we're fortunate. We have computers. We have laptops. We're able to work from home. You think about all the parents that for no other reason than they need to provide food for their families. They um, are the frontline workers. They can't work from home for much longer and they have to get to, to work. And to do that, they're going to have to get their children back into school. Well, you know, Dr. Fauci said during a Senate hearing that 
he wants everybody to go back to school, but it's going to depend on the state of the virus spread. And where I am right now in Arizona, I'm covering a new spike in the virus. And one of the first things that the governor did uh, to address this new spike was push back the school year by two weeks. Which is why experts, and you've spoken to many, as have I, have said from day one that focusing on schools should have been a top priority. You're not going to get an economy fully reopened or even halfway near reopened until you have a place where your children can can be watched and can, can study all day, and that's at school. So last week, the American Academy of Pediatrics released a set of guidelines for reopening schools. Uh, Bianca, can you talk a bit about what the American Academy of Pediatrics said? So in addition to Dr. Fauci advocating that it would be best for students to return to the classroom, um, that was also confirmed by the American Academy of Pediatrics, who said that um, obviously coronavirus being one factor to look out for, but there are others that they viewed just as high that may actually eclipse concerns about coronavirus, and that is mental health stability, the learning process, um, being with other students, the environment surrounding students and their development, both emotionally, physically, and educationally. And, and, and they typically are a more conservative group. So for the American Academy of Pediatrics to come out with that statement really um, uh, sent a lot of shockwaves. Yeah. And let me ask you about that, because you covered the reopening planning uh, in your home district where you went to school, right, in Houston. Can you tell me a bit about what some of the options are that you have that you were able to determine when you went back to the school? And that's the school you actually went to, right? Isn't that what you did? (laughs) Yes. So I grew up up in Houston. It was a little walk down memory lane. And we went out to seek whether the superintendent would spend some time with us via Zoom whether she could walk us through what their plans may look like. You know, she was greeted immediately at the front door by a school nurse. Good morning. How you doing? It's one of our school nurses. So as you can see, she's here at the front door. So we're going to check my temperature first. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. 97.7. We're preparing actually for three scenarios right now, face-to-face for all staff and students. We are prepared for 100% to be virtual. And then we're also prepared for blended uh, model where some students are here and some students are learning at home virtually. Masks are a requirement and that instead of the students going from class to class after you know periods, that it would actually be teachers that would be moving uh, and the students would remain as much in place as possible throughout the day. Uh, students who receive special education services would be given top priority. Those are students uh, that are behind academically. We're looking at, of course, class size, maybe 11 to uh, 12 students in a classroom with the classroom teacher. The other half of the classroom would be online learning and, and actually be able to tap into the classroom. They would have bagged lunch, prepared lunches, Uh, for the students to take. The playground was also going to be washed daily and um, just a few number of students at a time allowed to play. So it would look very different. So this is that cohort model that we've heard about, the idea of the students all sort of stay together in a tight group. uh, And the idea is that if one person from that group gets infected, uh, you can quarantine the rest of the group while leaving uh, the remainder of the school relatively unscathed. One of the things that struck me was from the get-go stating that that students are going to have to have masks on the entire day. That is a huge uphill challenge. 
And then we haven't even talked about the teacher's angle here and teachers feeling comfortable enough to return. And, and we've heard from plenty of teachers unions who are concerned about this question. There's a lot of uncertainty um, and trepidation from teachers as well as to what that's going to be like if students, if all the data continues to show that they might not be as susceptible and vulnerable to COVID. Obviously, adults are. I'm carrying a major burden of worrying about how do I safely bring back 209,000 students and 27,000 employees. You know, I'm a go-getter. I'm a leader. I know how to get things done. But this virus has stumped me. I will tell you the truth. (laughs) And I'm not sure what the story was in Houston, but I went to a school in upstate New York called Greenberg Central School District. Um, where they were also considering uh, a return to classes. New York has yet to announce its plans for the fall. In fact, the governor said he would like schools to send him plans to reopen, but they don't know what they're going to be yet or if they're going to do it. But what the what struck me about this trip to Greenberg was that the superintendent told me that even with this idea of bringing kids back with the masks, with the temperature checks, with all the other things, um, she is concerned that she won't have enough parents who actually feel safe doing it. But what we're going to do if we are ordered to open up in September, and you know, we have to, we want to give parents those options. The virtual academy could be an option. Yes, the online option, if I've been told, is always going to be on the table because as you mentioned, there's no way that that parents can be forced to have their children go to school if they don't feel comfortable without a vaccine. And obviously that's not months, it's perhaps even a year away from happening. So parents will have the option of having their students learn online, which is why at least early on, the focus was on those most vulnerable students, right? What do you think some of the drawbacks of this idea of having, you know, school isn't mandatory, online remains? What do you think are some of the drawbacks of that? Well, look, I can just say as studious as a child may be, not being in that classroom setting and not having that peer-to-peer environment and not having your teacher accessible the way they are in person is all a setback for kids. Right. Let's talk about this other idea, which is, I think, an equally likely uh position here, which is that it won't actually be voluntary for you to go to school sometimes and home half the time. That will be the only option. That's what's called the hybrid model, uh, which is this online and in-person idea, which going back to that Greenberg story that I did, this is their plan, uh, their initial plan for reopening, which is essentially uh, kids are put into groups called A and B. And the A kids go to school, let's say, uh, for the for three hours in the morning. And then they go home and take classes uh, for three hours online at home. And then the B students would be flipped. Other school districts that we've seen have been talking about the idea of doing this on a day-by-day basis. Maybe you'd go to school uh, two days a week and be home uh, three days a week or the other way around. Um, this hybrid model, what the really the reason for it is, is because these school buildings aren't designed for social distancing and they need to keep the numbers low Uh, So they can have the spread out the space that they need to do the social distancing in school. So you're a a parent. When you think of this hybrid model, what do you think the drawbacks are of that for someone like in your life? Well, the hybrid model is something as you're you're right, that that does seem to be like the consensus model that we're going with the hybrid and the staggered days. You're going to have so many parents around this country who are not going to be able to 
go back to their full time jobs if they are fortunate enough to even have them. If they don't have child care, if they don't have a place for their child, two of the out of the three days of the week. You, you mentioned that these schools just aren't equipped. They're not outfitted to, to hold, you know, all of these students during a pandemic. You're seeing that buses are being remodeled too, because you're not going to have students sitting right next to each other going to school. And you've got millions of students across the country who rely on school buses. And also, even if it does work, what happens when one student or one parent or one teacher tests positive? We haven't discussed the, the testing capacity that we're going to have to see at a large number of these schools. And whether or not there are tests available, it is not easy to, to have a child take a coronavirus test once, not to mention, you know, every few days or every few weeks or, or whatever each school district is going to be implementing. The most interesting part about this is just that here in the United States, at least, um, the questions are all still questions. There are so few answers as to what is actually going to happen in the fall because the story here keeps changing. I spoke to a parent when I did that Greenberg story. What do you think is the right thing? I think we should stay home until February when all of this virus is away so that everyone can be safe because no one's more important than our children. I've heard that, too, and and not to be a Debbie Downer, but that, in in this world at least, seems to be a luxury to be able to even have the the idea or thought process of keeping your your child at home for the next eight months. Remember when the coronavirus hit initially, it was considered to be the great equalizer. It impacts everyone socioeconomically, gender, race, what have you, and that's just not how this has played out. And so you're seeing, once again, the, the poorest sector of the country, the most socioeconomically challenged African-Americans and Latinos in this country, um, they seem to be the hardest hit. Right. These are the ones who are going to have to deal with the brunt of some of these decisions that didn't get made or were made badly. Um, It's going to be their lives that are the most affected, you know. And, you know, initially in the CARES Act, some $13 billion was um, allocated to schools. But when you're dealing with, you know, a situation where every dollar counts, and I've been told that $13 billion is a drop in the bucket, especially because a lot of these schools and, and states and, and districts were in the red going into this crisis, that um, they just don't have the financial needs and resources to to provide for these students, whether it be issuing laptops for, for children, whether it be to, to have food programs, whether it be refitting school buses and, and schools themselves to be able to accommodate, you know, smaller groups of kids coming in at stagger times. Yeah, it is optimistic to imagine that uh, the school year in the fall will look much like what people are used to. A, a lot of students will still be going to school online uh, in the fall. What are your takeaways from the reporting that you've done? I agree with you. I think even some of those states that have navigated the coronavirus well and have seen their cases decline are going to have parents who are concerned about sending their kids to school. And you're going to have school districts in some areas where you may have 40 percent attendance. Others will have 20 percent attendance. And it's going to really be a case by case, um, school by school, state by state kind of model that we're going to see. And as pockets continue to flare up, then you definitely can expect that you'll see uh, schools close for a few weeks on end. Absolutely. I mean, for me personally, my new personal request is to make sure the Goldrieger children get to go to at least one birthday party this year. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. Let's hope. Let's hope that's the worst we have to deal with. We're the lucky ones. (laughs) Thanks, Evan and Bianna. It's true that this situation we find ourselves in is unprecedented. 
And I don't know that there's any way to know if we're going to get it exactly right. Reopening schools affects more than just kids. It obviously impacts their parents, the teachers, the administrators. It has this ripple effect that will ultimately influence our broader economy. For now, there's no one-size-fits-all answer for reopening schools safely. Every state's, even every district situation is going to be different. So the best thing we can do is to stay flexible and prepared. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.